Good morning. There we go. A little bit more life. Good morning. You know, you can all do what I usually do when Richard doesn't come up here. I usually stop and go, oh, it's not Richard. So you can do it. It's okay. You can do that. But usually it turns out pretty good So, and sometimes great. So hopefully today will be okay uh, for all of us. We're actually in the fourth week of a series. And I say week because my wife and I do worship here as well. We're in a series that, titled, that uh, Richard titled Sustainable Faith. Soil care for the soul. And as I've listened to Richard and the Lord over these past few weeks, what I continue to hear is things like slow down, shut off, be still. And I think today might very well be similar because today's topic is meditation and truth telling. Now, I have to be honest with you. Um, when Richard contacted me a couple months ago and said, hey, uh, would you be uh, willing to, to preach on October 29th. I was like, wow, that's the only date this fall that would actually work for me. So I kind of just enthusiastically said, yes. Then I asked what the topic was. <laughs> Mistake. I said, so what are you doing? He said, oh, it tells me about the series. And he said, it's on meditation and truth telling. And I said, great. <laughs> meditation. So nothing like being the guest speaker to talk on meditation and truth telling. Uh, together. But let me, let me start with um, a prayer, and then we'll jump into this. Lord, thank you for the chance to be together, uh, worship and song, to, to, uh, to, to celebrate family and to be able to pray for these children. We thank you for that. But we do ask now that, uh, or we do ask um, that the words of my mouth and that the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing to you, O Rock and our Redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, just to get us wrong, 31 years ago, when I was about to marry my beautiful wife here, my pastor told me that I had to memorize the famous love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, that I had to memorize the whole thing, not just the little middle section, to memorize the whole chapter or he wouldn't officiate our ceremony. And so I was kind of like, well, yeah, all right, if that's what I got to do, can we just get on? I want to get married to this woman. And so I memorized it barely and, uh, and, and stuck it in my memory uh, to some degree. But about a year ago, almost to the date, uh, my oldest daughter, Olivia, and her fiance at the time, now her husband, Ryan, asked me if I would recite from memory, because my wife apparently had told them that I had memorized this, would I recite from memory 1 Corinthians 13 at their wedding ceremony, assuming that I still had it locked in my memory, which I did sort of. But I have to admit that when I looked at 1 Corinthians 13, I must admit that when I took it on to read to my future son-in-law, it took on a whole different meaning. When all of a sudden I'm reciting these words to the man that was going to be marrying my firstborn child. Now, when I had memorized it for my own wedding, um, uh, uh, it, 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 or excuse me, when I was beginning to share this with my daughter, I began to think about, I began to meditate much uh, more deeply on this passage of Scripture. I had memorized it for my own, but when I had to re-memorize it, I really began to sink deeply as I thought about this young man that was going to be marrying my daughter. And to me, it was really at that point all about him. Was his love going to be patient? Was his love going to be kind? Was it not going to envy or boast or be proud? 
Was his love not going to keep records of wrong? Would it delight in evil, or not delight in evil, but rejoice in truth? Would his love always protect? Would his love trust? Would his love hope? Would his love persevere? Would his love never fail? I began to think about that for him until God began to do a work on me. And as I, so to speak, began to meditate more in my effort to memorize it, God began to say, how are you doing after 31 years of marriage? How's that going with you and your wife? How well are you loving her in such a way that you don't keep the records of wrong, that you're patient, right? That your love perseveres. It began to work deeper inside of me in a, in a, in a profound way as I began to think about that. Will my son-in-law be like that? Will I be like that? The question for me was, did the truth of this scripture, this great love passage, did this scripture simply become words in my memory or did they transform my life in relationship? Did I become the very truth that I had memorized? Let me say that again. Was I becoming the very truth that I memorized? I told you that uh, when Richard had asked me to talk on meditation, I have to admit that I kind of hesitated at first because what I really wanted was something that I've already spoke on. Like I wanted to pull out the file. I have no file on meditation. Anybody here have a file on meditation? <laughs> yeah. I have some books like Richard Foster's book written like in the 70s or whatever about it. You're like, I didn't have a file. I wanted something that I knew, something that maybe like I actually was good at, you know? I know right now you're like, wow, he's, he's the preacher and he's not even good at this. We're out, we're out of hope. So... No, but I started, you know, I was like, come on, I want something I'm good at. I want something that I know a little bit more about. I had a hesitation um, at first. You might say, but what I had to do at that point in time is I had to start meditating, if you will, on meditation. And it began to sink in deeper for me as well. It actually began to help me realize that I actually maybe knew more about it than I thought it's actually been more a part of my life than I realized. But I'm going to guess that some of you, as soon as you hear that we're going to talk about meditation, thoughts pop into your head like, no, not for me. I'm way too ADHD. Like I could never focus like that. Or some of you are kind of wondering, are Christians even supposed to meditate, right? Others might be thinking, do, am I going to have to get in yoga poses? Like, Mike, I don't do happy baby very well. <laughs> Maybe, or downward dog, you know? Um, but here's the one that I think hits a lot of us, and that is, isn't this something only really spiritual people do, like monks and Richard? You know, <laughs> like, isn't, that, isn't that what it is? So, um, but maybe your reaction is a little bit like another daughter of mine when, when she asked with enthusiasm, so dad, what are you preaching on? And I said, meditation. And her response was, are you disappointed in your assignment? That's an interesting response. So, not at all. I'm actually not at all. Uh, though I was hesitant, like maybe some of you, I, I think there. Um, I'm sure many of you might be. It's a. It's been a good discovery of just how important this spiritual discipline is to our life. And I'm going to bring it home really, really quick right now by talking about what I think is the core issue. Um, in our life that requires us to meditate. So for those of us that are sitting back going, meditation, I don't get it. There's, I got all these techniques and what do I do? Is it, is it valuable? Should we do it? I want, to, I want to start with the why, okay? I want to hit on the why right off the bat. 
Why meditate? Because we're lied to every day. Why meditate? Because we are lied to every day. But God brings forth his truth into our lives to combat the lie. But we've been lied to from the very beginning. If you will kind of stick with me for a bit, I want to take us on a little bit journey all the way back into Genesis, if you will. I want to go all the way back to the the beginning. In the beginning, Genesis 1, 2, 3. And I want to kind of tell the story for a bit just so we get the idea that at the core of what's going on in us is we're being lied to every day. This isn't going to be new for most of you. It's going to be kind of an old story, but maybe a fresh look at it. But in order to do this, I want to actually have some group participation, if you will, if that would be all right. And so I need somebody to play God. And since Phil is right here, I'm going to ask Phil to come on up and be God. He kind of feels and looks a little bit like God. And by the way, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But instead of bringing three people up, he'll just play all those roles. He's so large and in charge. And of course, I need an Adam and Eve in order for this story. Are there any, and I need Adam and Eve, are there any people out here that are dating? Anybody here that wants to date somebody here? (laughs) I can make this happen right now. So we can, or just even a married couple, or not a married couple. I don't know. Who's a couple? You guys, you better be a couple because your hand was on her knee in church. (laughs) During church. So you guys get to be Adam and Eve. Come on. So you're going to come right up here and be Adam and Eve. Now, in order to make this story as as biblically accurate as possible, it said they were naked, but we'll leave your clothes on. So thank you. Okay, then I need somebody to play the children of them. Oh, look, you you want to participate. See, you were that Sunday school person that always got up. Come on up and be children. Okay, I need somebody to play work. Now, I'm going to explain the story and just, you want to, would you come play work? I know most of you right now are like, what shoes did I wear? Gosh, if he gets me up there, I'm not sure if I wore the right shoes. Would you come up and be work? I know, I know you're wondering, where's the story going? But now, look, there's a whole group of, I need somebody to play atmosphere. Come play atmosphere. <laughs> oh, I won't pick on you, Ron. Who will be the land? Will you come up and be land for me? Like, I'm just going to get, will you be water? Yeah, no, you're animal? You look like an animal. Come on up. <laughs> you know, I was looking for a tall person, so you need to come up and be the trees, okay? And so who's sleeping? Who's like already checked out? Because I want somebody to be rest. See, come on, rest. Get up there, and you're going to be rest. Okay. Now, I know you're going, what is this guy doing? He thinks, we, he, he does think we're in Sunday school, like Richard's up here preaching, pounding, you know, on the table and stuff. So, okay, so you with me? Okay. So anyways, face God. So, and yeah, you can kind of stand close to God. Okay. You're going to come over and be close to the children. Okay. Genesis 1. Okay. God created, in the beginning, God created, right? The heavens and the earth. Boom. Let there be light. Light comes in. And we get all this creation stuff, right? The first few days. We get the atmosphere. Okay. We get, we get well, land really should be, try to get this in order. You're okay. Don't worry about it. We got water. We got animals. We got plants. And on, and on the seventh day, what? What did Richards preach about last week? See, Sabbath, right? Rest. So we get this creation, okay, but I, want, but I want us to go back and realize that on day six, it says that God, okay, made a decision to create, okay, mankind in his image. 
In the image of God, he created them. It says male and female in, our like, in his likeness. So God creates Adam and Eve in his, in his image. No, I'm going to keep you facing him as much as I can. And then, so it, what's important about this, it's important. We're creating the image of God. We're not God, but we're creating the image of God. Okay? In other words, we, in essence, receive who we are from God. Our identity is rooted in the fact that we're created by a creator, okay? And that's where we're, our, our identity is. All of us should be theologians. A little bit. Because we all should be people who studied the one who created us. Okay, everybody's a theologian. We all study. That's how we understand who we are. We get our image from God. And then he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. God created sex. Praise the Lord on day one before sin ever entered the world, okay, or day six. He created sex. We produced children. Or a better way just saying it is we were created in Genesis 2. It was not good that Adam was alone. He created a partnership, but not just husband and wife. God, in essence, created people. We're not meant to live alone. We're meant to be created in flourishing, life-giving relationships, that's what he means by be, be fruitful, multiply. It's this expansive, abundant mentality. Like, we are meant for a wonderful relationship, okay? Be fruitful, multiply. It's a beautiful thing. Fill the earth and steward it. Take care of it, okay? So we've been created for, for I'll just put work because it makes more sense here for us. So, so we get our sense of who we are from God we live in community with one another, flourishing, life-giving relationships. And then God said, steward the earth. Be, in essence, create creators upon my creation. Be creative people. Take what I've created and steward it. Take care of it. Okay? Nurture it. Be the ones who steward creation. So we get our life and our wisdom from God, our sense of who we are. In relationship, we steward creation. There's a couple of things that need to be entered into the story. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. This is the one thing that hangs us all up. Nobody really studies it. You rarely hear anybody preach on it. You're going to get a little glimpse of it from me today. The tree of knowledge and good and evil. Why did God put a tree that we could eat from that could screw the whole thing up? Because love necessitates choice. The tree represents choice. Okay? If, 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 if I said I loved you, then I forced you to love me back. That's not love. Love necessitates choice. This tree represents choice, or represents God's love, and a choice for us to whether or not we're going to trust him and obey God. Will we trust and obey God? That's, the fa- that's what we're facing. So the tree is this decision. Enter the serpent. And I'll be the serpent, so I don't make anybody else be the serpent. I asked my wife if she'd be the serpent. She goes, I don't want to be the serpent. So... Um, so the serpent enters in the story, right? Genesis 3. And the serpent knocks Adam and Eve on their heels. Okay, the serpent comes and said, did God really say you can't eat from any tree? Just throwing something, right? Any tree? Oh, no, no, no. God said we could eat from any tree, actually. We can eat from all the tree. God's generous, except for one tree. So Eve knew the words. She knew what it was, and she said, no, I, we can eat from any tree, but we can't eat from the one tree in the center of the garden, for if we eat it, we will die. Next word, may know it? Serpent says, you will not die. Lie. 
Matter of fact, it says your eyes will be open. Okay? Your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Or another way of saying it, your eyes will be open and you'll think that you're God. You get to think that you can be in charge. So Adam and Eve ate from the tree. What results in that is they turn their back on God. Okay? That's the, that decision we said, God, you can't be trusted. The serpent was trying to get in the minds. God can't be trusted. Why obey him? I'm going to find out who I am and my truth inside of me. Judges, at the end of Judges, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. That's been a problem from the beginning. That's not a new thing. We didn't invent that in America here. Okay? That's been going on forever. We will look and find who inside of ourselves. Forget about getting my image from God. I get it from me. I'll figure out who I am, but we'll even take it a step further. In the midst of this, though, broken relationships start to happen. If you guys could go back to back, as if we're, right? And all of a sudden, the relationship starts to break down. We have issues in marriages. We have issues with kids. We got problems and brokenness with our kids, right? And things begin to break down. But not only in our families, they break down to our societies, Right? We don't get along with people of different races. We don't get along with people from different countries. There's a breakdown amongst humans. The flourishing relationships that we were meant to be blessed by are now broken and divided at all levels. Funny thing is, is then God said, in the midst of this, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and steward it. And all of a sudden, the stewardship begins to break down. Instead of work being a glorious thing, a life-giving thing, we have people that don't even have work. Right? Or we get into jobs where we, that we're just frustrated, and, and, and we don't like it, and it's not fun. It's, there's nothing enjoyable. Work becomes hard. Even God even said it that it was going to be. By the sweat of your brow, you'll work. Thorns and thistles will be part of it. Work gets screwed up. But not only is it that just simply that work is screwed up, our stewarding of the creation begins to be messed up. Just stick with me. Come on, let's just think about this for a minute, right? I'm trying to give us a bigger understanding of what sin is really all about. When we got lied to, it's not merely about morality. It's not about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's about the fact that we didn't trust the one who created us. We look at ourselves to figure out who we are. It distorts everything in creation. We got issues with the atmosphere. That's some problems going on in our world. I mean, depending upon your viewpoint, global warming. We got issues with the land and the plants. We got people who, they're people that don't get food to eat. We have people in the world that don't have clean water to drink, right? We got all the water we want, yet we got people that don't have clean water. We're dealing with animals. And how about rest? How are we doing with this? How restful do we feel? We heard Richard's sermon last week. How are we doing with, right? The whole thing's broken. So we decide that we don't forget it, we believe the lie, and we decide to be God ourselves. Figure out life by ourselves, broken relationships, our work and stewarding of creation is all broken. The system's broken, the whole thing's broken. It's not just about me and my personal morality. The whole system's broken. I don't have to argue this with any of us, do I? No, we don't, I don't have to make an argument for this, do I? I mean, it just is. Now, we might disagree on this, but we don't disagree that this is all distorted and broken. Then a funny thing happens. Let me say, read to you what, what, what Paul writes in Romans 1.25 when he's talking not just about this, but about all of us. One, Romans 1.25, when he's talking about the result of the fall, and he says this. They, referring to all of us, including himself, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. 
They exchanged the truth of God for life and served, in, and served created things rather than the creator who is forever to be praised. Let me put this in one more light for us for just a second by coming down here. I've told this story from left to right. God creates us to steward creation. This is the way we're created. We, we get our life image from God. We steward creation. But a funny thing happens. When we decide not to trust and obey God, not to listen to his truth and live by God's truth, what then ends up happening is we not is that not only do we do this, things get distorted and broken, but things get reversed. According to Romans, what now happens is instead of life living itself from left to right, life is now living itself from right to left. This is called idolatry. Okay? Try, just stick with me here. It's called idolatry. Lewis Smead says this, idolatry is whenever we slice off a piece of created reality and expect a miracle from it. Say it again, whenever we slice off a piece of created reality and expect a miracle, man, if I would only find Mrs. Wright, if I'd only find Mr. Wright, if, I'd, if only my kids would get their act together, my life would be fulfilled. If only my parents would get their act together, my life would, but I'd only find the right job. If only we would solve all the problems with global warming, if only everybody in the world got, if only I got enough rest, we end up bowing down, and these things begin to control our life. This, this, is, this is what the Bible refers to, that we're all a slave to something. And it, we, we, we think that by turning our back on God, we can be God. The reality is none of us are God. The things rule us instead of us having any rule. Never meant to be. We live a lie every day. Will you thank my friends for coming up here and helping me out? The passage of scripture that Eric read for us, Psalm 1, that he read for us, when he, it says that blessed is the person who does not walk, you might say in wrong thinking, the wrong thinkers, does not stand with wrongdoers, okay, the sinners, who then ultimately does not sit with the scoffer or the mocker. That person that they're referencing there is the person who believes that they get to be judged. They're the ones who decide what's right and wrong, who's in and who's out, okay? So that's not the way of, of the blessed person. He says, but the blessed person is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. And upon his law, he meditates day and night. This person is like a tree planted by a stream of living water, producing fruit in season, right? This whole series about being fruitful. We plant ourselves by streams of water, fruit in season, leaves not withering, and all they do, they prosper. But the truth is not merely laws. Truth is not merely words. Thank goodness, thank goodness for all of us that the truth became a person in Jesus Christ. The truth is a person. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth and I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me because he is the truth. He also went on to say that you shall know the truth. Shall know the truth. We get to know the truth, him, Jesus, and that truth will set us free. The good news is that in Jesus Christ, God entered our mess, lived in perfect obedience to the Father, did what Adam could never do. He died on the cross for our sin. He was raised to new life and now can set us free from the lies and restore us to our relationship to God the Father, to one another, and to creation. Whew. You guys all right? I'm feeling 
like overwhelmed by what I just talked about. But it's good news, okay? And it's good news for us to understand how we're, to, to, so to speak, understand the problem, for it to be diagnosed properly in our life um, and then understand the solution better and the way in which we get about that. But I want to just chill out for just a minute. My wife was a school teacher kind of in her former life, and uh, she was a school teacher. And one year after Easter, she invited her students during a writing project to write about Easter. And, uh, you know, it's got the, it's one of these fun papers, remember, where you had the lines on the dotted line and you had, you guys all remember that. And so she had them, they were first graders, right, honey? I think first graders. And so she got one that was written by Blake, but he titled it Blake the Great. So he knew this was going to be good because he titles, by the way, he thinks it rhymes, but I think it's more important that it's Blake the Great. And he goes, so he's writing about Easter and he says, I think of bunnies and eggs and I think of good things once I got from the Easter bunny. I think of things, lots of things, and I think of church. And it gets good here. He goes, last Easter, I went to church, and we saw a movie about Jesus, and he got hung on a cross, and he got zapped by lightning. And when Jesus was dead, they put him in a box, and they put him in a cave, and a long time from that, the cave caved in, and Jesus was trapped. It's pretty intense. And then kind of changes, and he says, in a long time from that, a lady's husband came to the cave, and he gave his wife to Jesus. <laughs> Doesn't say life, it says wife. He gave his wife to Jesus, and they lived happily ever after. <laughs> and, and then I love how he finished, because he is Blake the Great. He said, and then we went home, and we went on an Easter egg hunt, and I got the most eggs. <laughs> so, gotta love him for that one. So, all right, that really has no point to my talk. Um, <laughs> No, but we don't always get the story right, and it's important for us to continue to make sure we get the story right. In biblical meditation, Christian meditation is one discipline that God gives us to turn from the lies and turn to the truth, to turn from the lies that we're believing and turn to the truth. The word in Hebrew, there's actually two words in the Hebrew language that are translated about 58 different times uh, around meditation. One of the words is just hagah, and it means to utter something, like in essence, over and over again. It means actually also to devise or to plot. It actually can sometimes be used in a negative term, like the enemies plotted against Israel or something like that. It also means to muse or to think over. But I really like Eugene Peterson in his book, Eat This Book. I know it's a book called Eat This Book. It's about the Bible. But what he said is, he said it's he talks about meditation like a dog gnawing on a bone. I just love that imagery. Like, right, I don't know if any of you have dogs, but, you know, you have a bone, right, and you throw it to your dog, and at first you might, it might be playful, but eventually that dog takes that bone and goes alone and kind of covers up and starts gnawing on that bone, right? And if you come and try to take the bone, what does the dog do? Growl, this is my bone, you know, like... And, and Eugene Peterson talks about it like that, like, like we, we hear Scripture, we read Scripture, okay, we might study Scripture, um, we might even memorize Scripture, but, but um, uh, the Navigator Ministry Campus Organization always talks about the thumb as being the meditation, and it touches with all things. We can, we, we can hear and meditate. We read and meditate. We study and meditate. We memorize and we meditate on it. And, it, and the analogy that they use is it's like holding a glass of water. We can hold it with those four things that most of us do. We might read it, hear it, study it, whatnot, but in order to grasp it, 
We need our thumb. And that's the idea that, and behind meditation. It's, it's not this far out thing. It's a very practical thing uh, that God gives us. Back in the 80s, when I was kind of growing in my faith as a young college student, young adult, the word meditation had a really negative connotation within a lot of the Christian world I, I dwelt in. And, and, and I heard somebody early on talk about, talk, talk about meditation is like marinating. And I love that image because I like meat. So, but I thought about that. It's like, yes, it's like marinating. And as a friend of mine, a chef that I was talking to the other day and ta- asking about, he said, I have lots of school of thoughts on marinating. But the key is, 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 is it has to be in long enough that it actually takes on, you know, the flake, that, that it permeates and tenderizes, but don't do it for too long because it ruins it, which could be a good point about mem- meditating, but that's not my point right now. So, but it, it's good. It's like, it's like marinating in, in something. You know, I really enjoy Richard's sermons. I'm sure many of you do as well. Um, the truth is, is often he speaks, like sitting here, and it captures my attention, right? It inspires me to live differently the rest of the week. But by about time I'm ordering pancakes at after church brunch, it's left the building. My thought's gone. Does that happen to any of you? Like, what did, it was a great sermon, but what was he talking about, right? So, no, don't tell him I said that. Um, <laughs> no, but you know what I'm getting at, right? But it might also happen we go to a small group and we read the Bible, or we wake up in the morning and we read something. It's like, I don't even remember what I read this morning. Um, it leaves the building. When I first became a follower of Jesus back in my days at the University of Washington, I remember a pastor saying one time, he goes, when, when you leave this building, the devil is hovering above the exit door with a giant eraser awaiting to erase everything that you've got in your mind. Maybe a more modern example of that is he's got his finger on the delete button. He's seeking to delete everything that's going into our heads, Okay. This is true for whether we're reading the Bible or memorizing. God's goal, listen, is not that we merely obtain knowledge or an ability to recite a passage, but he longs to transform us into the image of his son. As we read, as we hear, as we study, as we memorize, is there something that God wants us to grasp at a deeper level, something that he wants us to gnaw on, something that he wants us to marinate in? Christian meditation has a goal of not only detaching us from lies, but attaching us to truths, namely his son Jesus, that as he transforms us, we might be able to sow seeds of truth in the world in which we live. Now, as we go, I want to be practical real quick. I've kind of run out of time, but it's all right. I'll, let me be practical for a minute. Let's just, let's just you know, <laughs> when you're sitting at brunch, I want you to remember some stuff, Okay. Okay, so the first thing is this. This is the first thing that I would have us think about throughout this week. Is there a lie that's haunting you since it's Halloween on Tuesday? Is there a lie that's haunting you? Is there something that you continue to cling to that's just not true? Things like words like I'm not worthy, I'm not loved, I'm not good enough, I'm not gifted. I'm not assured of who I am in Christ. Is there a lie that you're clinging to and holding on to that in essence needs to be smashed? Is there an idol that you're setting up and continuing to try to give and assume that you can get life from that you can't? Is there a lie that's haunting you that you need to acknowledge and just let and give to God? 
Let Jesus smash that idol in your life, that lie. Let him transform it. The second thing is, there is, a, is there a truth? Is there a truth that God is inviting you to meditate on? Is there something that God is speaking to you? And I don't just mean today. I don't even maybe even mean maybe in the next week. I mean like in the next few months. Is there something that God just wants to go deep, wants you to gnaw on? Just keep gnawing on this, like 1 Corinthians 13 for me. Like, is love patient, is kind? Is it not envy, is not boastful? Is there something that God is inviting you or calling you to gnaw on? And maybe for some of you, you've been showing up at church, you've been thinking about this Jesus guy, this Christianity thing, the story that it's taught, but maybe for somebody in this room today, it's simply the, 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 the question of whether or not you want to give your life to Jesus. I remember when I was in college and a friend of mine, a senior on the football team, looked at me as a punk freshman and he basically at one point kind of just challenged me. He didn't invite me into Christianity. He said, take a look at Jesus. Just study Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Look at Jesus. And as my old mentor Earl Palmer used to always say, let Jesus win you over. Jesus will win you over. You don't have to convince people about Christianity. Maybe for somebody in this room, it's Jesus. It's a taking a, a deeper look at whether or not Jesus is trust, trustworthy. Can I give my life to him? And finally this, um, as we move into our day, okay, well, I mean, let me say this. I, I don't know, what, you know where you would find time to do this. I know some of you are like, ah, when am I going to do this? I, I honestly don't start my day. I just can't. I, when I wake up in the morning, I got, I got those voices inside my head. I don't know if any of you got, like, I know Phil's like, Mike, you need to get some help, and I probably do. <laughs> but there's these lies that are, you know, I, 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 I'm, pre, I'm preaching something I live. This is stuff that's real for me. I wake up every morning with those voices that lie to me, those voices that tell me I'm not enough, those voices that say me, you got to do more, those voices that say yesterday you blew it a lot. I have those voices every day when I wake up, okay? And I want to fight them off in some way. And so what I do is I go get a cup of coffee, and I've learned that there's now, instead of reading a bunch of scripture, there's some thought that God wants me to focus on. I grab my cup of coffee, I actually go in my hot tub, rain or shine, doesn't matter, very early in the morning before anybody's up. I get in my hot tub, and as I soak, if you will, in my hot tub, I soak on some truth about God that I need to hear today. But then I take it to the next step. As I'm meditating on it, I then begin to think about the people in my life. I don't think, so, so to speak, really far out. I just simply stop and say, today, who am I going to see? Who am I going to run into today? Well, pretty soon, probably my wife, probably my kids. I'm going to run into some, you know, coworkers. I'm going to probably run into the checker at the, at the Safeway store down the street. I'm, I'm, go, I'm going to run into people, and I begin to hold, in essence, the truth that God is, 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 is working, is, is marinating into me, and say, Lord, is there something about somebody else that needs this as well? It might be just a word of encouragement, but it also might be a word of rebuke. They're living a lie that, that God wants me to help them smash it, right? Long time ago, I was walking with uh, my dad, or um, I, I, I had a mentor in my life. His name's Chuck Snyder. And, uh, uh, and I, this story is, is from really when I was very young in my faith. But Chuck Snyder was a good friend and really mentored me in my life. I didn't have much of a relationship with my dad when I was growing up. And I really didn't care, to be honest with you. It wasn't part of it. I had other things I was doing. I'm the youngest of nine kids. So busy life. And yeah, 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 good luck, right? He had to just, he, he had to barely keep you know, a roof over our head. And, and, but I didn't have much of a relationship with my dad. But all of a sudden, I became a follower of Jesus when I was in college. And all of a sudden, my relationship with my dad started to matter. 
for some reason. And I started to talk to Chuck, who was about my dad's age. And I said, Chuck, you know, um, I, you know I wish my dad loved me. I've never heard my dad say, I love you. I, I don't experience love from my dad, or at least he doesn't show it to me. And Chuck was very patient with me. He was a very gentle man. And, but at one point, I will never forget when Chuck looked at me and he said, Mike, it's time for you to stop waiting for your dad to love you and start loving your dad. Now, that might sound a little bit of a harsh word, but it was the right word for me. I needed to hear that. But then he didn't finish. He looked at me and he said, Mike, the spirit of the living God dwells in you. The spirit of the living God dwells in you. You can love anybody. And at that point in time in my life, I didn't realize it until I worked on this sermon. At that point in my life, I started meditating. I meditated on the Holy Spirit. Does it really live inside of me? Is there really the God of the universe dwells in me? What is love? I had to memorize it. I, I was thinking about it for the last 30 plus years and my dad. And it wasn't about my dad and how he wasn't loving me. It was just about, Mike, why don't you go learn what your dad's love language is? Friends, we're lied to every day, but God invites us into his truth. And through meditation, his truth permeates our soul so that we can live it and speak it to ourselves and others. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the gift that you give us of entering into our chaos that we might be able to experience your love. In Jesus' name, amen.